The Touchdown City Podcast is sponsored by PropMe. We want to give our listeners a chance to win $100 every week. Go and download the app PropMe and check out the Touchdown City Podcast game every week. And you have about 20 questions for your chance to win $100. Again, that's PropMe. Head over and download it today. Welcome into the Wallies and Wimpies Touchdown City Podcast. I'm Anthony Lewis, and unfortunately, this weekend is a COVID protocol episode. It's going to be a little shortened on the front end, but I've got a great interview lined up for you. Joining me in segment two, the former engineer and producer uh, for the Mountaineer Sports Network Radio, Mr. Dale Miller, who um, was a engineer and traveled with the WVU football and basketball teams. Um, over the years and had was alongside Mountaineer greats, Woody O'Hara, Jack Fleming, Tony Caridi, Dwight Wallace, Jay Jacobs. He worked with all those guys and he's got some great insight talking about the early MSN radio days. And, uh, we will do that. But first West Virginia, uh, with the big win yesterday over TCU 24 to six in Morgantown, uh, West Virginia and TCU have now played for 10 times. And West Virginia now leads the series six to four, and is three and two in Morgantown. Um, great day for the Mountaineers, and Neil Brown uh, came out in his press conference, and I'm going to play a little bit of sound from him, but was extremely happy with uh, what he saw on the field. And uh, let's get to Coach Brown right here. And and I thought what we put on tape today um, was was West Virginia football. Um, I thought individually and collectively, thought our guys laid it on the line. Thought the coaches put them in a really good position to be successful. And I'll start defensively. I mean, zero touchdowns, um, under 300 total yards. Really good on third down, especially in the first half. Um, our red zone defense holding them two field goals and then getting an interception down there was huge. I mean, Tony Fields continues to make play after play. Taiki Smith. Is a guy who's captain for us today, but I don't think he's getting talked about enough. I mean, like, I think he could potentially could be as good at his position as anybody in our league. Uh, X Low stepped in for Josh Chandler today and took it huge advantage of his opportunities. Played well in the run in the pass game. And then uh, Sean Mahomes quietly putting together a really strong, strong year. Offensively, um, I thought that that was as efficient as we've played. Uh, controlled the clock, really uh, didn't have to be uh, real, real flashy. Offensively, West Virginia, Jared Daigie finished the day 19-26. Very efficient day, but broke his streak with 300-yard games. So only finished the day with 212 yards passing and two touchdowns. And that's nothing to be upset about. He was, uh, again, he was 19-26. of 26. But, again, you hear me all the time on this show talk about uh, Jared Daigie does not need to throw the ball 50 times a game. Um, if they can efficiently run the football like they did yesterday, Letty Brown had 24 carries, 156 yards. Um, he doesn't need to throw the ball that much. He can. He made the right passes. They kept the ball, the chains moving, and um, 
and it was a good day offensive for the Mountaineers. But on defense, um, this is one of the best defensive units that I've seen. Um, yesterday before the game, I had um, had a conversation with someone. We were talking about what do we think the keys to the game would be today. And I thought if West Virginia could just simply clean up their offensive mistakes and move the chain and score in the red zone. Red, red zone scoring was important, which they did that yesterday, because the defense has already established itself. Um, and West Virginia has probably – it's been a while since we've seen a great defensive uh, – group like this I don't want to say they're up there with the 96 team because that was one of the better defenses that we've had in history but uh, they're having a great season and uh, here's some sound from coach Brown on the defense just what did you think of that group overall yeah I think that that group kind of in the middle there Taiki and Sean and Alonzo um, I think they played at a high level and y'all heard me say this. I think I think Tyke Smith is a player. Like, man, he can play anywhere, and uh, I think that he's special at that position. And uh, Sean Mahone has has been really good here the last three weeks. And Alonzo, uh, for playing that position for the first time, continues to get better. We got to get some depth. We got to get some depth because they play every snap. Um, so we got to we got to get some depth there. But I think those guys are playing at a high level for sure. In general, West Virginia is uh, – and listen, it's late in the season. We know what this, this team is going to be. And, again, uh, they're undefeated at home, had some pretty convincing wins over TCU and also K-State. But I would have to say at this point, West Virginia is a much better team than they were last year. And also um, we're seeing some improvement. After the Texas Tech game, I was a little – perturbed so to speak I thought maybe we weren't seeing the progress we needed to see um but and there's some things that this team still has to fix and I think um they will get some of these things taken care of but in general um the, the climb as that they as they've been calling it um has been you're seeing West Virginia improve in a lot of different areas and coach Brown uh spoke on that yesterday after the game we really came into this season with the intention of being one of the most improved teams in the country. I believe we are one of the most improved teams in the country. Um, our last two home games, I think, really are um, kind of a, a picture of, of how we want to play the game. Um, the Kansas State game and this TCU game. We've had a couple road games, you know, the Oklahoma State and Texas game, uh, for sure, where against teams that – uh, really that are, are talented and highly ranked where we were able to put ourselves in a position to win. Now we got to finish those games. Um, but, yeah, I think that we're, we're a young football team. We really are. I mean, TCU is as well. Uh, so um, we're figuring it out. I don't think we've arrived by any means, but I think we are figuring it out. And the product we put on the field today was was really good. So, again, I want to keep this segment short, but I want to remind you guys, if you are looking for a great place to stay in Morgantown, uh, I want to direct you to Murph's Landing. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath ba one um, house. It's uh, about a half a mile away from the football stadium, and it is available for rentals and a uh, great place to stay. I went up a few weeks ago and stayed there, and it was a perfect. It was perfect. We walked from the stadium, walked home, uh, just took us a few minutes. Easy walk, and you can get all that information at Mountaineer Fieldhouse. Com. All right, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll, we will be joined by the former engineer 
um, the man pushing the buttons for mul- for multiple years alongside greats like Jack Fleming, Woody O'Hara, Tony Caridi, Dwight Wallace, Jay Jacobs, um, Del Miller will be joining me from Morgantown. We'll do that after this. Hey, my dear fans, this is Brian Joswiak. The Touchdown City Podcast will be right back. It's the start of fall in football here at Tony the Tailor. No one in the Mid-Atlantic does men's clothing like Tony the Tailor. Best selection of quality sportswear from Johnny Owen Brax. Huge shoe department featuring Cole Hahn, Donald Pliner, and D. Bianco. Jackets and suits from Hickey Freeman, Samuelson, and Talia. And of course, free alterations by Master Tailors. Tony the Tailor, 822 Virginia Street, downtown Charleston. 304-833-9403 or online at bestmastertailor.com. Don't throw your money out the window. Get the look you want, the home efficiency you need, and the first-class service at Daub's Windows and Doors. New replacement windows and siding will beautify your home. They specialize in siding, flooring, and small remodeling jobs, all at a price you can afford. If you're looking for first-class service, Daub's Windows and Doors is the way to go. Find them on Facebook or call 304-545-1503. Again, that's 304 545 1503. Wally's and Wimpy's Sports Digest, a West Virginia legend for three decades, is back. Get the scores, the schedules, special features. Wally's and Wimpy's has everything you need to get ready for the big game. High school, college, and pro sports, it's all in there. The Mountaineers, the Thundering Herd, every NCAA Division I conference, the Mountain East Conference, the National Football League, we've got it. Go to WallyWimpySports.com to find out where you can pick it up and how you can get Wally's and Wimpy's delivered straight to your inbox. Wally's and Wimpy's Sports Digest, back and better than ever. What's up, guys? This is Rashid Marshall, and you're listening to the Touchdown City Podcast. Welcome back to the Wallies and Wimpies Touchdown City Podcast. And joining me on the phone from the great city of Morgantown, West Virginia, is Del Miller. And he is the president and CEO of West Virginia Radio Corporation, based out of West Virginia. But you guys have stations all over the great state of West Virginia. I'm lucky enough to listen to 580. Uh, it's the station of my choice here in the capital city. But, Dale, welcome to the Touchdown City Podcast. It's good, catch- good hearing your voice. <laughs> well, Andrew, good. Andrew, Anthony, great to hear from you. It's been a while that you and I have worked together and been a, been together on the uh, radio or on television doing a show. So great to hear from you today, buddy. Yeah. So just for the listeners, a little backstory. Um, and I think they've heard me talk about it here. My my adventures into Morgantown was on the television side, but I got to know and travel with Dale uh, and work with. He was working on the radio side. So before we kind of dive into the sto- some of the stories of some of the characters that were involved in that side, what led you to Morgantown and what led you into the West Virginia University football radio world? Well, I'll tell you what, I got uh, introduced to it pretty quickly. I came here in the late summer of 1977, in August of 1977. And I came as operations director of what radio stations we had at the time, which were only WAJR and WAJR-FM, which ultimately became WVAQ for people who know the Morgantown area. And I was working for John Racy. He hired me. He and his brother, Richard. 
And I was probably in my first week on the job, and Ron Steiner called me up and said, hey, I'm the guy from uh, the Mountaineer Sports Network. You know you have the games. I said, yeah. And he said, well, we've got one coming up in about a month against Richmond. I'd like to come in next Tuesday and introduce you to Jack Fleming. Well, I knew who Jack Fleming was because having come from St. Louis in Illinois, Jack had been doing the Chicago Bull games. So in two of the radio stations I had back in Illinois, Anthony, I was running Jack Fleming with the Bulls broadcast. So I, I said, sure, I know Jack Fleming. Bring him on in. So I met him, and it was right after Elvis Presley had died. And so this is my first meeting with Jack Fleming. And, you know, I was, I was used to a couple of guys like Jack Buck and Harry Carey and guys like that I knew before. But, you know, I'm sitting down in my office talking with him, and, you know, he's completely preoccupied about Elvis dying. And then John Conamikes of a WTAE television had left a meeting, a Steelers meeting of all kinds of meetings, to, you know, go deal with the fact that Elvis. So... Obviously, my very first moment with Jack Fleming was a little bit offbeat, but you know, a couple of weeks later, we start doing uh, the games, and uh, Mountaineers weren't very good right then. Frank Signetti was the coach. Had him my first three years uh, before he got terminated, and right when he got terminated, we got the new stadium. But during that time, uh, a year into uh, that first uh, time with the Mountaineers, uh, Gail Cavett came to town, and I think you probably remember that, 1978-79. And he came to me with the idea for a radio show. Okay, so this is the second year I'm in town. And he said, hey, you know, let's do a radio show. I used to do one out here in Cincinnati. And uh, we're going to do a, one on the radio. Well, that started the statewide sports line. Oh, that wow. was the way it got begun. You know, that's how it, it started. That's how Metro News Radio Network got started. With Gail Catlett's show, the second year I was here. So, you know, during that time, obviously, I went to Jack and said, Jack, you want to do this talk show? And he said, sure. So he started coming down and got, I really got to know him a lot better uh, when I started doing the shows on Wednesday night with he and Gail uh, than I ever did. And man, I'll tell you what, he had some great stories. What a great career he had. Just a legendary broadcaster. So you, you've sparked some interest there. So everyone, most West Virginia fans have tuned into the statewide sports line. So was it? Did it just start as a one-night-a-week type of deal and then develop into what it is now, where it's six nights a week? Well, it really started out, Anthony, it started out in 1978 when Gail came here. It started out as a weekly show. And then when Don came in 1980, as soon as they announced that he was going to be the coach, I didn't do one with Frank. Uh, Frank is, you know, that 79 season, obviously, things were pretty tender. Talk about the hot seat. Yeah, uh, He was on it. And so, you know, it, it just wasn't in the cards. And uh, then when Don came, I went. I reached out to Don, and he was a little reluctant at first, but he came on. And so we really basically did the Don Nealon show and the Gail Catlin show until 1985 is when the the entire you know Metro News Radio Network launched, and we started doing a five day a week show, then a six day a week show, and then Hoppy show, and then all the other things. But we were about seven years behind originally starting the network uh, away from MSN uh, with Jack and with, uh, with Don Nealon. So how does the MSN and West Virginia radio relationship, where, where does that fuse together? Was that pre-dated your arrival in Morgantown? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're talking, you know, obviously some people who know the history of West, you know, West Virginia Radio Corporation will be 80 years old next year. I mean, next month, rather. Uh, December 7th, 1940. December 7th, 2020. Um, you know, Jack started at the radio station in 1945, as soon as he got back from the war, 
and he did his first season as voice of the Mountaineers in 1947. He became general manager of WAJR in 1960 and served in that capacity until he left for a while, went to Pittsburgh for television and then over to Chicago. But my point is this, uh, WAJR Radio in Morgantown was the original flagship station the Mountaineers did them originally in 1940 and uh, had them all the way through 2012, except for a two-year period in 1960-61, Anthony, when they were uh, down in Clarksburg for a couple of years, when Jay Randolph was in town. Very interesting. So, see, I'm learning something here. I'm learning. This is, <laughs> this is good stuff. So, your relationship with Jack, I guess, talk to me about Jack Fleming. I mean, obviously... Well, you know, Mountaineer fans now, they know Jack from, you know, because you still hear his voice in the stadium. They they play Majors Run, and they'll they'll play back the McKenzie kick, and, and, and even we played back the scene setter from Penn State um, a few weeks ago before Halloween just to let – remind people what a great broadcaster he was. Nighttime in Morgantown, West Virginia. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because here's one thing about Jack Fleming. I, I want to make clear here, you know, like I'll probably say a couple of things. People might say, hey, you know, that's not a very nice thing to say about Jack, but I'm going to tell you a couple of true things. I'll say this, too. He and I were good friends and had a great relationship. I understood Jack Fleming was a big part artist. And I mean that honestly, Anthony. If you think about all those announcers who came out of that era, the Ray Scotts, the Jack Flemings, the Vin Scullys, the Jack Bucks, I mean, they were almost artistic in the beautiful way they could describe things. And Jack wrote well. He His descriptions were absolutely out of this world. I mean, God, everybody knows the Immaculate Reception. You know, I mean, he told me, you know, privately a million times that that broadcast, that call would never happen. If it hadn't been at the end of the game and Myron, who was drinking the entire game, Anthony, <laughs> had left to go down and do the post-game show. Oh, wow. So, boom, you know, Jack Hamnick's the ball out of the air. And here's, you know, grabbed out of the air. They're running, you know, touchdowns. To, you know, he said, I would never have that iconic call because I know Cope would start screaming yeah. in the booth. <laughs> you know, if you remember the McKenzie Field goal in the background, you hear screaming. That's Sandy Yakum, who is Jack's daughter, who was his spotter and was fantastic. But, uh, you know, I was constantly telling her in the booth, kind of giving her the high sign or the evil eye to cool it down a little bit because, you know, she got very excited during the game. But, you know, I'll give you an example of Jack Fleming. He, you know, and, and put it in relationship with Tony Creedy. Tony Creedy has never met a stranger. I mean, whoever it is walks up to him, has a conversation with everything. That's his natural way in life. He's one of those guys. Fleming was more of a, you know, standoffish guy, you know, a little bit of a prima donna, didn't necessarily want – you know, all the trappings that went with being the voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers for Super Bowls and All-Star Game, the Chicago Bulls, and, you know, 42 seasons of the West Virginia Mountaineers, All-Star, you know, world, you know, a Hall of Famer in both college and pro. I mean, that's a one-in-a-lifetime uh, career, but, you know, he really didn't like that. And so I don't have many real guys I look up to Anthony and just fall over, but a couple of them were, as I mentioned before, Vince Scully, Jack Buck, I thought was fantastic. And Keith Jackson. And um, one day we're doing an ABC, ABC's in town. And we didn't get many games back then. You know, we we're on TV maybe twice a year, right. two times every four years. And, you know, ABC's in town and it's, uh, you know, Vince Scully's going to do the game and he's with Frank Broyles, who's the old coach from Arkansas. And it's Jack and I are alone in the booth. And at that time, we weren't doing the big, long pregame from the stadium, three or four games ahead of, hours ahead of time. We were going to air 15 minutes before that ball went on the air. And so maybe 20 minutes before the game, it's just Jack and I 
sitting in the booth, knock on the door, in comes Keith Jackson. I am blown away. I mean, he is one of the two or three guys in my career that's up there in that pantheon of the best guys. Right. And, you know, he and Jack talk a little bit. Jack, how's your wife? You know, what's doing in Chicago? How you been? And, hey, Keith, this and that. And this is my producer, Dale Miller. And I'm saying, hey, Keith, love to, glad to meet you. Bye, bye, bye. We're shaking hands. He said, I know you guys have to get to work. Just wanted to say hello. I'll see you later. Jack said, okay. You know, and he walks out the door. I'm sitting there beaming from ear to ear. And I'm about to say something to Jack. He looks at me completely deadpan and says, lock that door. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, I mean, that's Jack Fleming. He was just like, look, I can't be bothered. I'm, you know, I have to get the line up here, you know. So, but, you know, he said something a moment ago about that scene setter at the Halloween game. And that one probably sets off perfectly the artistic fact with Jack Fleming. Um, Anthony, before the before the broadcast, you know, you, I saw you, uh, you know, in the stadium when you're like getting ready to get to do what you were doing hours and hours before the game. I'm there with you. You know, we're sitting there having a sandwich. People don't know how much inside baseball and back, you know, back office it really is mm-hmm. when it's all said and done. But, you know, when you when you think about it, I used to come out there and watch the band at about eight o'clock every morning before a one o'clock game. And I would time their pregame segment from 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 the time they hit drum line. To when the they went into the middle of the circle at Simple Gifts and blew up into the you know bomb 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 you know the right. big WVU theme. I would time that exactly, and then I would time Jack Scene Center when we went through it, so that I could hit it exactly. And that Halloween one shows you where it's at because you know we're we are forty seven minutes into the broadcast when we hit that, and when Jack says tonight they want to win, as soon as he says that, that band goes bum 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 bum. You know, it starts that big thing in the middle and that center comes out and it jacks him up and it always did and you could hear him go to that next level in his voice and man when jack fleming hit that gear in high action i'm telling you right now i don't think there was a better action play-by-play announcer that's ever lived than he was but like i said at the other high what you know jack buck would sit there put down a beer and sign autographs with you for 10 hours i don't think he would (laughs) but uh he was a great talent you know, you talk the scene setter, and it's you know when you say that, literally the hair on my arms were standing up because that build up and the way he brings that forward. Um, there's another one of his calls that always um, gets me. I mean, almost brings tears to my eye every time. Is the BC ninety three call uh, stud still to Ed Hill? You know, th- yeah. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because. You know, when you and I talked about doing this, I, I, I thought in my mind about a couple of things. And you know, let me tell you about that call, because you just hit on that call. And that call is absolutely a milestone in Jack's career. OK, and, I, and let me roll it back a little bit before I tell you that when we when we played, you know, when Flutie, when we beat Flutie every time we saw him. And to me, that's one of the greatest things we ever did. That every time we saw Doug Flutie, we beat him like a dog and made him go away. And um you know, when we finally got Flutie and sacked Flutie, came flying through there, and that's one of Jack's classics. You know, they got Flutie, they got Flutie all night long. Right. I swear, Anthony, 20 seconds before that happened, before we came back on the air, there was a little bit of a partial timeout. You know, he had looked at me kind of with an urgency, man. He said, man, they got to get they got to get to that kid once. And I said, Jack, man, I said, when they do, let people know it. And I swear it was a minute later, bang, it happened. And what he did, as soon as it happened, I put my fist out in front of his face and just shook it. And I mean, he went to, it just put him into that fifth gear. Right. You know, 
And when he did that, I mean, that – and the reason when I say that, Anthony, is a lot of announcers, even the very best of them, when action really gets fast, their voice tends to go up. You know, they tend to get a little shouty and a little bit, uh, you know, high, high-pitched. Jack could keep that thing right on a keel, and you could hear the incitement of his voice, and it incited a riot almost. And, you know, you talk about a guy who took it personally. Think about this a second. Here's a guy who lived and died the Mountaineers, and when, when I say he did, this guy did hate Pittsburgh. This guy does think that everybody from Penn State drives a Mercedes-Benz, drink, you know, chomps on uh, wine and cheese. You know, he thinks that's what it is. He didn't like those people. So here we are, we're paying Penn State. Uh, finally, in 1984, we're about ready to get them. It's 17 to 14. They're driving the field on us. And, you know, both, we, we're both thinking, okay, they're going to kick a field goal here. Are they going to go in for a touchdown? We're going to lose this thing again. And Jack had been calling these losses since the 1950s. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've been seeing them for like five years. He's been seeing them since the 1950s. So we come down to the end of the game. You probably remember it, Anthony. We got a big, um, you got a big interception. And, you know, it's obviously we're going to ice the game. And the Mountaineer students can't handle it. And I don't care. Let's have fun. Here they come. Boom, they're over the stands. They're crowding. They're going to tear down the goalposts. They're going to tear the stadium down. It's been 30 years and we beat Penn State. And Joe Paterno throws his club off the field. If you remember that, he, he tells his club to leave the field. There's still 37 seconds on the clock. They're trying to, the officials are trying to get back together. Paterno kind of comes over half waves at Don Nealon and walks off the field. Well, Jack sees this, Anthony, it incenses him. All right. So he's on the air going like, now Paterno's on the other side of the field. He's walking away with his team. He's, you know, he's turning, he's walking away. He's leaving the field. It's, you know, the Penn State and the Lions. You know. And so he's, he's like really caught up in this and almost angry. To the fact we get to the point, well, that's the final. West Virginia 17, Penn State 14. We'll be back to talk about it more after this on the Mountaineer Sports Network. And, I mean, he calmed down for a second, and we're all kind of in the booth, and, you know, we're happy, but we just don't know really what's happened right here because he's unhappy. <laughs> and he, puts, he, he flips his headphone over in front of his face so his big ear plops out and just kind of gives me the finger to come up next to him. And I get my face real close to him. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, I blew that, didn't I? I said, from here to there, brother. I said, what was going on? He goes, I absolutely kicked the dog. I said, well, you know what? Let's pick it up now. Let's get it out of there. He never really recovered, Anthony. When we got back out of the break, you could tell he was kind of despondent. And he kind of, you know, just went on and on. And we finished the game up and did the broadcast. He packed up and left. But, you know, I understand Jack Fleming had a real historic thought to himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really looked at things that way. And, man, he knew that moment he should have been like, since 1952, this team has tried, you know, and finally under Don Nealon, they get, you know, he didn't. He was mad at Paterno Toto. Whatever Paterno did didn't, you know, flipped him out. So, so, you know, but he was that kind of guy. But I'll tell you what, that also shows who he is. I mean, he cared about that. I mean, you know, and I mean, for months after that, he would refer to me on that particularly. Now, Next time I get near that Penn State type of finish, you give me a heads up. You know, you give me the sign. Right. Make sure I'm on. You know, so, you know, so we had a great relationship. And, it, and you got to remember, I, you know, I spent, uh, you know, all of his final years with him. And, you know, he was starting to get a little, it was rougher for him. He had some health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just kind of rough. And, you know, Anthony, a guy was still doing the West Virginia Mountaineers on Saturday and the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. 
Yeah, you he, know, he was hopping uh, until 1993. So I mean, the guy had a pretty busy schedule. You know, I think back to, you know, that story kind of makes me realize that, and 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 TC gets it. He he loves the Mountaineers, but oh yeah, but Jack, it was very personal, and you don't have oh. that in radio these days because even. As you look around on television, there's all these different, um, you know, WV TV shows and radio shows. And, and a lot of times I don't think the people, I don't believe them. Does that make any sense? Like, I just don't believe them. Like, I I know exactly what you mean. You know, and, 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 you know, Jack had almost a, a childlike view of the game. And I mean that in a really good way. It was like almost how a kid is when, when you win a game. I mean, he was he was really genuinely happy when we won games. He didn't have to do a lot in the post game so he could get out of there. But you know he was also kind of you know the inside workings of it kind of flipped him out a little bit. I, I can give you a great story one time we were doing the um, um, well after we started doing the Don Nealon show we got into a bowl game uh, I think it was it was Kentucky it was eighty three Hall of Fame go fame bowl we played kentucky uh down in birmingham and i had never been to the deep south to see a game before i mean i grew up in the midwest uh, you know the first uh, intercollegiate broadcast I ever did were the university of illinois games and then the wv games so you know i was a big 10 type guy and i was a high school basketball guy back in illinois and so you know down in the south you know down we're in birmingham and they're taking us around with cops and sheriffs so got like you know sirens on taking the team around i like how it was so we had a practice before the game at the stadium. And so I told Don, I said, look, we're going to go ahead and do a talk show the night before the game from the stadium from like 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock or something. And he agreed to it. Now, you know, coaches today, Anthony, they're not going to come into a booth in a visiting radio booth the night before a game and do a two-hour talk show. Right. But in 1983, they would. You know, in for 250 bucks, Don would. You know, so um, – he came in and did the game. So, you know, we had practice earlier that day. So he just took a shower downstairs. He stuck around. We had some food and we started doing the, we started doing the show. Well, during the show, Kentucky shows up, puts the lights on and they go through their practice session. Well, real quickly, Don realizes it's their stuff. They're not just doing it. They're doing their stuff. So he's yelling at me, you know, between breaks, I'm getting a paper, I'm going down to, you know, running down the thing and getting paper out of the uh, hand dispenser and bringing it to him and pens and stuff. And he's scribbling while he's doing the show, talking to Jack and talking to, to fans. He's like writing plays down, you know, and <laughs> plays. Well, the next day, guess what? We won a bowl game. Well, we won the previous year at the Peach Bowl, which was probably the first bowl game we won in about 20 years. And we won that game too, and I think a lot of it was Don knew what they were going to run. He was so, the, he's the original yeah. Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a little bit like the uh, uh, you know Astros, but I'm not exactly saying that you know. But you know, so he's in the Hall of Fame. He can get away with that right now. But yeah, uh, we'll take it. You know, and then um, I'll tell you what too. I, there's a another crazy story I want to tell you real quick about my years with the Mountaineers. You know, Pat McAfee. Um, is obviously a big media guy now. And, you know, back when Matt McAfee was with the Mountaineers in the you know, tw- six, seven, and eight, um, the cool thing about Pat is he always ran a road in uh, bus number three. And Anthony would know what that bus number three is. That's where they put the bad kids and the MSN kids. Yeah. And, in the and those kind of kids, <laughs> people get on bus three. And 
Pat McAfee was always back there because he wanted to run his mouth and see what we thought and, you know, argue about the games at night and, and stuff like that. Well, you know, if you can remember, and I'm sure you do, that beautiful Sugar Bowl win we had in uh, 2006 when we uh, faked the punt. People forget on that team that Pat wasn't a punter in 2006. Phil Brady. Uh, Phil Brady was. Thank you. So here we are, man. You know, big time in the game. You know, game's going crazy back and forth. You can just see that Georgia might, you know, come back and, and do something to us. And we come down there and we're going to flake fake that punt. Well, after the game, you know, we get on, we get on the bus and Pat gets on the bus and he's not as happy and he's not as jumpy as he normally is. He's kind of kind of down into it. And I said, Pat, what's up? He said, man, did I get ripped? I said, tonight? I said, what did you do to get ripped? He said, I made a major mistake, man, and the coach let me know about it. Well, what happened when, when you know, Rich Rodriguez had some sort of verbal cue to Phil Brady and to the punters when he wanted to do that fake punt. And he made that verbal cue at exactly the right time. When he did, Pat was standing behind him, and Pat yelled, "We're going to, we're going to fake it. We're going to fake it. We're going to fake it." Oh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, it's too late for Rodriguez to call it off. Phil's got it, and Phil's running. You know, and he's turning around, screaming obscenities at at uh, at uh, you know. The kid, because the kid's behind him, Pat McAfee, and, you know, he realizes immediately what he's done. Well, then, you know, Rich didn't let it go. He, let, he got, him, oh, he got him, you know, after it was over with a little bit. So, you know, I'll tell you what, though, you could tell very early on what Pat McAfee was going to be with his life. He yeah. is absolutely a, a character, a yeah. beautiful character. He's He's doing big things. You know, so, well, and kind of back to Jack in the early years. So you throw in Woody O'Hara. Oh, my. So, right? <laughs> you know, Woody O'Hara, you know, for what he was, and, and that's really kind of where you got to do it. I mean, for what he was, he was fantastic because Woody was one of these, like, 1960 and 70 radio, TV kind of personalities that, you know, could could say, you know, sell you Shamu on, the, on, on Saturdays and the football <laughs> game on Sunday. Um, you know, he was one of those smooth kind of – Radio sales guys, Herb Tarlick type guys, never really had a clue about what was going on on the field, Anthony. I mean, couldn't tell you whether, you know, what kind of defense the Mountaineers were running or, you know, exactly what they were doing. That wasn't his thing. He was mostly the guy who did promos for the next game and whatever. And Jack complained about that a lot, that in the two broadcasts he had, he had, in this one hand, he had Woody O'Hara, who was, you know, gregarious, but really didn't know anything about the game, so he couldn't help Jack in that area. And on the other hand, he had Myron Cope, who was about the same way, but was super opinionated <laughs> and would scream over Jack. You know, so Jack always told me he wanted a, a full analysis, a true analysis. I don't think that would have worked out for him. You know, Tony Caridi can work that in. He can work a Jed Drenning and is just absolutely encyclopedic. Mm -hmm. Or Dwight Wallace, who's been in the pits and been in the, you know, for, for years. Uh, that wasn't Jack's nature. He needed a guy like Woody basically, hey, once again, here's Jack Fleming. Right. You know, he needed that guy. And uh, and so I don't think he completely realized it. But, but Woody was just absolutely hilarious, you know, constantly had some kind of smart-ass remark, uh, sarcastic Funny Irish guy, you know, and, you know, just had a, a really funny personality. I know one time we ran 
some research on the Mountaineer Sports Network back in the 19, maybe 82 or 83 season. And we started to look at Mountaineer personalities. And, you know, Jack had positive, positives with everybody. But we found out in that survey that the most, the most popular Mountaineer personality was Woody O'Hara. Not the coaches, not Jack Fleming, Woody. And I think that, you know, you worked with him. You know what he was like. He was a fun guy. He was a WAJR guy. Jack Fleming was a WAJR guy. Jack Tennant, who did the games for a while when Jack went away, was a WAJR guy. And his son was recently back here with IMG, actually running the property for them here. So uh, there's been a lot of WAJR in West Virginia tie-in with the Mountaineers since 1940. Jack or uh, Woody taught me – so you remember how it used to be – the, there would be a, cr- a crew of the the staff, the WVU staff, that would jump in the van and they'd go out to the local restaurants and right, you yeah. know. And there was a then the rest of us would kind of would be back at the hotel and they would always tell us just eat at the hotel. Well, Jack ta- <laughs> or Woody told me he said, "Listen, here's how you get them." He said, "You order the shrimp cocktail, and then you order the entree, and then you order." Two desserts, one for here and one for your room. He said, eventually, when they get that bill, they're going to stop. Give, they're going to tell you, go out locally and somewhere and eat. And so we did that all the time. We would always order extra desserts and the shrimp for you know the appetizer. So that was a a, a Woody O'Hara um, road, um, I guess, tip that he would give me whenever we would uh, be eating at the hotel. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and and then of course Spanky. We um, and when you say Spanky, you know, I, I I know you brought him up a little bit earlier, but for people out there who listen to us, that's John McKinney. John McKinney, yes. and John McKinney was probably one of the you know just incredible. I mean, this is one of those guys who had kind of a brisk personality, and he would say funny things to you, and kind of be a smart guy all the time. Women loved him, guys loved him, coaches loved him. I mean, Gail Catlett and John McKinney were better friends than anybody could ever imagine. Like at 11 o'clock at night before a big game when they were on the road, Gail Catlett would call John McKinney. John McKinney would get up, get dressed again, go up to Gail Catlett's room and have uh, ice cream. Because Gail wanted to have a bowl of ice cream and what to have with John McKinney. McKinney always roomed with a guy named uh, Galuski, mm-hmm. Jim, Jim Galuski, who shot film for the Mountaineers. And boy, they were, you know, they were two country boys and they were, they had some, you know, they did some funny things over the years. You know, John did a lot more uh, basketball for us than, than I did, uh, Anthony. I basically did engineered and produced all of the football games. And John was the engineer in charge. Then on basketball, we split them. I never traveled basketball. I just couldn't do it with the job I had, obviously. Right. Uh, so John traveled basketball and I did home game basketball. So we did it like that. So he became incredibly close with everybody on the travel team for basketball. And um, he was just when, – when, when he passed away about 10 years ago, what, what a loss that was to me because, you know, I think about, you know, some of the names with the Mountaineers. You talk about them like Jack Fleming and Woody O'Hara, John McKinney, Sandy Yakum, Paul Kidd, uh, who was uh, one of the spotters there for, uh, for Jack for more than 20 years. Over on the television, you had Murph Tinsley and – Danny Loman, yourself, Nick Smith. Later years, you had uh, Dwight, mm-hmm. Jay Jacobs, Hoppy, Tony Caridi. Then always inside, you had Mike Parsons, Tony Fergale. And, you know, I saw four athletic directors when I was there and had good relationships with all of them. Leland Bird, Fred Giles, Eddie Passed Along, and Oliver Luck. So, you know, 
Anthony, I spent 46 se- uh, 36 seasons with the Mountaineers, 409 football games. And I'll tell you what, they broke my heart about 360 times, yeah. but I still love the West Virginia Mountaineers. Yeah, you know, you, we talk about John McKinney, and, and I don't think people understand. With with technology, you know, I'm right now I'm sitting in my living room, right, with a computer and a little cheap mixer and a microphone. You know, people can mm-hmm. pretty much do it anywhere, right? But John, he was really, he, a really smart guy, and to, to his credit, to how much the industry looks at him, they don't the, the West Virginia broadcasters now have the John McKinney Award, if I understand that correctly? Yeah. That's Technical Excellence Award. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and if you think about it, you know, John McKinney was one of those guys that when I first came to West Virginia Radio Corporation in 1977, uh, he was furious I was hired and he quit. And uh, about four months later, he called me up and said, I shouldn't have quit. I want to come back. I said, come on back. I mean, I didn't have any bad blood with him. He just didn't like the fact that I was named a GM because the guy who was here before me, Jim Murphy, was one of his buddies. No. Okay, I'm good with that. Well, then, you know, we became closer and closer and closer. And you think about during the time while he was my engineer, um, you know, we, we built out the Mountaineer Sports Network. And by saying that, I mean, people don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, at the Mountaineer Field, we had a beautiful box that was custom built. That we had a complete, uh, you know, 42 channel mixing board in. And, you know, I had stere- two stereo mic sets on the band. I had stereo uh, parabs. I mean, we did that broadcast in full 20 kilocycle stereo. And, you know, it was, you know, we almost wanted to make an album with how good the quality of the broadcast was. And we always had this saying that we wanted to close as good as we opened because it's easy to open a broadcast with a lot of production and a lot of bells and whistles. But to close that way says a lot. And, you know, I always looked at the NCAA tournament when they did, you know, one shining moment and had the highlight at the end. And so that, you know, Hoppy Kershaw and I would work the entire game on the highlight show to end that show because we wanted to make sure that the show ended with the same side of production bang that it began with. Well, to do that was a big technical job. Probably in today's world, way too many people involved. It took like nine or ten people to put on a radio broadcast. Mm -hmm. You know, now it takes one engineer, like you said, behind like a laptop. Uh, they could almost do it. But, you know, beside that, McKinney also helped me launch Greer Pavilion, which was an outdoor pavilion. We did nine years here in Morgantown and hundreds of acts. And, you know, that was a big technical undertaking. And of course, in 1985, we launched the Metro News Radio Network, which was our own satellite up Lake and down Lake all throughout the state. All of that was stuff that John McKinney helped me do. So, yeah, he was a rock uh, for West Virginia Radio Corporation, and he is part of the WVU athletic lore, in my view. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, I think it's strange, and and oh, I hate to even even think about it and even go down this road, but I know that you know when money starts to get involved, they you know business is business, and they unfortunately it became. I, I feel like I don't feel like anything is personal anymore. I don't feel a personal connection to. What I see with the IMG broadcast, when I see their not their radio broadcast because it's still Tony and it's Dwight and that type right. of thing, but when I watch their TV stuff and I don't know, it just seemed like, and I don't know how you well, feel about it. And I, I know you know what I think it's a problem that you know it's going to come back to roost on a lot of different areas, and you know we got caught up in a lot of different things. I mean, you know, West Virginia Radio Corporation not being involved with the WVU Mountaineers. Uh, just doesn't seem right. And it's still to this day, you know, eight years after the fact, 
doesn't seem right to me. And, mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you, eight years ago, I never thought it would ever happen. I just never thought there would be any reason uh, that we wouldn't work with them. And, you know, what happened was, is that like any other university who's in WBU's shoes, they need a lot more dollars to fill those coffers than they ever did before, Anthony. I mean, you know, Don Nealon made $210,000 a year all in, and about 50 of it was coming from me for radio and television. Right. You know, same with Gail Catlett. I remember when they got a million-dollar, you know, annuity if they would stay 20 years. It was like a big thing. Well, you know, now it's a big thing if you don't have to pay a guy $5 million to fire him. You know, and those things, on you know, Don Neely used to tell me all the time, you know, I I had a beautiful, uh, you know, relationship with him, too, because, you know, my my backyard, uh, you know, was Jeff Hotstedler's backyard, and next door to Jeff was his father-in-law, Don. Mm -hmm. So he was my neighbor as well as a guy I worked with all those years. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I think people still to this day underestimate what Don Nealon meant to WVU football. You know, out of all the people that's ever been here, I, I would say it's hard to say anyone is more important than he's ever been. Well, I'm, still, I'm still pissed that there's not a statue outside. You know, really, I think we've kind of forgotten about him a little bit. A little, little bit. I don't have a problem with that stadium being named uh, Milan Pushkar Stadium. It did a lot for the university when a lot of people weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the Milan Pushkar building is behind it. And to me, that's probably appropriate enough. That probably ought to be Don Nealon's stadium. I mean, um, you know, he, he came there the first year, 1980. People can say a lot about that. And I will say this, that from all the transitions I've ever seen, uh, you know, Don Nealon had a hell of a lot of talent when he got here. I mean, you know, you had a couple great linebackers. You had a couple really great defensive players. You know, you had a young Oliver Luck. You know, you had you had a decent little thing. And, of course, he, you know, his first year he stubbed his toe like everybody does. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't win your first year. But, I mean, you know, suddenly, right out of the blue, that guy gave us three nine and threes in a row. But, man, in 1982, when we went out to Oklahoma, and it was like 105 degrees, and I walked in that stadium – and I had been to Oklahoma two or three other times when the Missouri Tigers had played there. And I assured everybody this was not going to be a good day. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Barry Switzer was there. And, I mean, they were red hot. And they were just – they were the Clemson of the world right, right there at that moment. And, you know, we beat them. I mean, we absolutely beat them. And, uh, you know, it was one of – that was the one that right there I knew, uh-oh, this guy's legit. This guy knows what it is. And he knows what he's seeing and where we're going to be. And – um you know, I thought that also that he left at exactly the right time. You take a look at a guy like that, and he left when he was 65 years old, Anthony. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what are you doing? We just won the Music City Bowl. You know, the, the team had won it for him. And I said, well, well you know, what, what's wrong with you? You're in great shape. He said, it takes me three weeks to do what it used to take me three days to do, Dale. He said, I can't do this. It's not fair to the team. Right. Uh, but, you know, he probably could have coached another five or ten years. I mean, Kansas State's about ready to bring that guy back again. You know, so uh, it, I thought he was I thought he was fantastic. And, you know, while I spent a lot of time on this football, you know, I, it, it would be for me, I would be remiss to mention, you know, the times I had over the basketball program. I'll tell you where I, that really took a lift for me, Anthony, was 1982. We hadn't been very good in the 1970s, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, Jody Gardner was there when I got there, and he was a nice guy. And had a big win like a week before he got fired when he beat a big Syracuse team at home. But, you know, I knew he was going to get fired, too. So, like, you know, I come to WVM within the first two or three years. Both coaches are canned. You know, I think, oh, this is what this is going to be like. 
Well, then, you know, I didn't know that here comes Don Nealon, here comes Gail Catlett, and we're not going to get a coaching change for the next two decades. Right, yeah. <laughs> Things got pretty stable. Um, so, you know, I can remember that real early 1981 uh, semifinal run at Madison Square Garden that we went up there to do all the games of the NIT at Madison Square Garden. And that's the first time I really got a feel of how our basketball team could be. And then, you know, with Lester Rowe and Greg Rose, uh, Greg Jones and guys like that, and with Gail, Gail had some really incredibly exciting teams. And he got us rolling in the 1980s. You know, I know Huggins has done, you know, a tremendous lot here, and he is legendary, and so is Gail Catlett. But, you know, Anthony, I got to tell you that as as a fan sitting right there next to the to the to the floor and watching games, I probably enjoyed the couple of years that John Beeline was there about as much as anything. Just couldn't rebound, couldn't get an offensive rebound if we paid you. But I'm telling you right now, you know, just the fun of that team coming down and Pittsdoggle going out and hitting like a 22 footer or his son Patrick Beeline or you know Gansey and those guys and the way John Beeline was. And plus, it didn't hurt that he was a St. Louis Cardinal fan, and I'm from St. Louis, right? <laughs> so. You know, I, I guess, you know, that guy's a nut. And then when he went to Michigan, he did a good job. And then he went to the pros. I knew that wasn't going to work out. But mm-hmm. I bet you he's going to show up somewhere pretty soon again. Absolutely. You know, the the, the basketball. So, you know, they this is the 50th anniversary of the um, the Coliseum. You know, so they show the right. videos and you see a lot of the, 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 the big wins and the – what was it like, you know, the UNLV game, the 97 or 97-98 – UConn game when the place was just absolutely rocking they they're climbing over they're basically jumping over your back to get onto the court to storm the court um you know what what was it like in those days with the Coliseum and and the big wins and especially just having that front row seat for it well you know I can remember when we opened up um you know we started finally after you know we struggled to get into the big east I mean you know you got to be an old guy like me I'm 68 years old you had to be an old guy like me to remember how it was before we were in the Easter Eight and da da da. And, you know, people here were just, they were hungry for it. You know, games were very seldom on television, so radio was a gigantic thing. Um, I mean, you know, some of our listeners, we did a Nielsen in the 1980s, and, you know, we had an average quarter hour share of almost a million. There's only a million eight people in the state. You know, that's how many people would listen to a non televised. Uh, you know, game on the radio back in the 1980s. Today, I don't know where they're going to get it. They're going to get it from 15 different sources, digital sources, whatever. But, you know, answer your question. I always knew the Coliseum got to a special place where where I was sitting, which would be right next to the coach, uh, right next to the bench where uh, Tony is, um, when I couldn't hear the ball hit the floor anymore. Mm. And I can remember in the Georgetown game uh, that, you know, maybe the first game we ever played in the Big East, it got like that. You know, where like when they came in and down the floor, you couldn't hear the sneakers on the floor and you couldn't hit the ball, hit the floor. So it was crazy if they could even, if the referees could even stop the play with a whistle. Right. It was so loud. There are very few places, I think, like the WV Coliseum, that place in New Mexico uh, that we, you know, lost the overtime game to go to the Final Four was like that, the pit. You know, WVU with that big, giant concrete dome. Just facing down like a big uh, boom speaker into that floor is one of the toughest home field advantages everywhere. I hope that uh, with the new seating, it still looks that way. Yeah. So for you, all those years of calling games, what would you say are your favorite calls? 
when you go back and listen to them, your favorite calls, um, you know, that really, um, you know, what I was telling you about, you know, we, we were talking a little while ago about that Eddie Hill and why I thought, thought that was a, a call. That was a great call. But what I was going to mention to you there was that was the very first call, Anthony, that Jack did strictly off the monitors. And from there on in, it was strictly off the monitors. I mean, he was getting to the point where his diabetes was, his eyesight was kind of coming in and out on him. Even with glasses, it didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So when they were driving down to make that last drive, you know, I actually took that monitor and turned it right toward him and just looked him right in the eyes. And he, he kind of nodded at me and he made the call off that. He would never have seen it. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that, from, that was basically near the end of his career. But, you know, uh, it, 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 probably both of the perfect seasons, you know, were, were the ones that re I remember probably the best. But nothing like the Pat White, Steve Slayton season. I mean, they, that didn't compare. I thought we were so good there for a while. You know how it was. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's really fun to be a fan. When you know you're really good. I grew up as a St. Louis Cardinal fan. And in the 1960s, we were, like, really good. And, you know, we had Bob Gibson. We had Kurt Simmons. We had Ray Sadecki. We had Lou Brock. I mean, we had, we had ball players up and down the lineup. And when we played, you know, they won two world championships there and lost another one to Detroit on the seventh game. I mean, they were really good. You knew that 2018 was good enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And you knew that even after Rich left – when that team went to Oklahoma and won, that to me was the grittiest, greatest performance ever to take Oklahoma and just beat them down into a woodshed. And, you know, we haven't done it since. We've had a couple opportunities. We scored 56 po points and can't beat them. But, you know, uh, you know I, I really think that, um, you know, if I look back on my career with the Mountaineers, you know, I love what I had with Jack Fleming. I absolutely, you know, look at the fact that, Anthony, and I will say this out loud, man. You know, if you take a look across the people I've been allowed to work with, man, I have one of the greatest staffs that's ever been assembled in radio. And I don't talk, and I'm not talking about in West Virginia or in Morgantown. I'm talking about anywhere you look. I mean, the people all through this company, like Tony Creedy and Hoppy Kirchwell, Jeff Jenkins, and, you know, Shauna Johnson, and, uh, you know, Joe Bricado, just it goes on and on and on and on. The people who care and they've been with this company for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. We still cover the Mountaineers every Saturday like we always did. And I'll be honest with you, in ratings, in both Charleston and Morgantown and Nielsen ratings, more people listen to our broadcast than the MSN broadcast. Well, I, And have since 2013. I was, tuned, you know? I was tuned in Saturday. I always listen. <laughs> you know, Brad, Brad's been a great addition to the sports. Oh my God. Is Brad how great? I oh. mean, you know, I, I tried to get him years ago. You know, he used to hang out in that bus with Pat McAfee and mm -hmm. I, you know, that's where that started. And I was constantly saying, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the air. Well, I used to take that to Parsons and Parsons used to look at me like, you know, that's the worst idea in the world. Like he didn't want anybody from the athletic department being on the air every night. I could get that. And after he went out on his own, I immediately jumped on him. But, yeah, I do think that I got, like, a really, uh, you know, top-flight guy in, in Brad Howell. He really gets it. You know, and but, uh, you know we didn't even mention Mike Mike Parsons. But, you know, Mike um, gave me my opportunity, gave me my shot along with Scott Bartlett. And, and of course, I worked under Murph Tinsley and got to, you know, work on the TV side with all those guys. But Mike Parsons had a real vision for the radio and the television 
West Virginia was doing it way before IMG came along and has basically farmed the schools have farmed it out to take it to that level. You guys were doing it 30, 40 years ago before it was really known and to be a great production. And I tell people all the time, if you want to hear comparisons, use your satellite radio and flip over and listen to another broadcast and then go back to the West Virginia broadcast. It's night and day. Um, so, I mean, and you were a major player in that and Mike was as well. Um, you know, well, you know, Anthony, it's funny you say that because, you know, like one thing about, um, you know, when this when this unpleasantness happened, when the Mountaineer Sports Network uh, went to IMG and then IMG decided not to work with us. And that's what happened. I just want to make that clear to everybody out there. It's, it was never like West Virginia Radio Corporation didn't want to work. IMG saw us as a predator, a competitor, mm-hmm. because, you know, and they 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 you know, they they were trying to capture as much dollars for the local team as they could. And everybody was living under that. How much could you get from your conference? How much could you get from your third tier media rights? You know, now with COVID and what's happened, you're also seeing the world how it should be. And when I say that, and I'm talking about a guy who has 54 years of media experience, okay? And have been, you know, basically running radio companies for 50 years. So let me just say this about that, how I think it's going to shake out. You know, to, to homogenize College football was a huge, huge, huge mistake because it's a regional event. Look at NASCAR. When they tried to make NASCAR national, they wrecked NASCAR. Mm -hmm. NASCAR was a southeastern sport, period. It was Talladega. It wasn't super sports in in Las Vegas. It was little, crazy, uh, you know, North Wilkesboro. That's where the good races were, okay? College football is a southern local game. And, and, and WVU was one of the last schools that owned its own rights. If you take a look at it now, looking backwards, you know, they never, you know, I think that the, the future of college football are teams taking back the rights, you know, because with what happened uh, with COVID and all the games that have missed, you know, every one of these teams have renegotiated their third team, uh, third tier media rights now, and they're a lot less money than they were, and they're not guaranteed anymore. But what I'm saying is WVU was so far ahead of everybody on how they could produce their own sports. If they would have realized what they could have done and just taken it themselves, you know, yeah, they make a hell of a lot of money with IMG, a Mm -hmm. bunch of money. But so does IMG. So they're leaving a lot on the table, Anthony. I think they were the closest people to getting to where everybody's going to be in 10 years. And that is they're going to be doing their own games on digital means. You know, they're literally going to have an MSN channel that you go up to and buy a subscription for, and that's how you get the games. And yeah. it all goes to WVU because ESPN is owned by Disney. How? What kind of year is Disney having? Right. Have you taken a look at their stock lately? I mean, they're not interested anymore in college sports where they're losing their ass. They're more interested in the fact that they're losing their ass now in the amusement parks and on, you know, uh, boats in the ocean. So Disney's not going to pour billions of dollars into this format anymore. You saw that ESPN, which has already had massive layoffs, laid off another 500 last month. Some guys that I know. People. Some guys we know. So you ask me, how long is it going to be, Andrew, that these people are going to be able to pay somebody like WVU $30 million a year for sports properties? How long? Right. Yeah. And then, you know – I just sigh because I, I I think I, we both know what what was happening and how great and how hard the guys worked and what yeah. went into it. 
and it's um you know I t- again it's hard for me to turn on their morning their pregame show I still go over and listen to Hoppy and that group um hey listen they do a good job nationwide look they got several things that happened they they, they went together recently with Learfield and Learfield Sports are friends of mine I mean they were very adamant when this all came down at 12 you know the three or four teams uh, people that did um, you know, bid for this. The only people who didn't want to work with us was IMG. I mean, Fox Sports came to us first. Uh, Learfield came to us first. Uh, you know, and, and now they're together. They do a great job for the university in, in ticket solutions, which is a very difficult thing. They do that. They do a good job in, in national support and uh, sponsorships. But really, you know, the, the, they have given up on the audio side. They know that they've made a lot of enemies over the years, so they've really kind of discounted it. And they tell the universities, well, you can, you know, go online and you can stream it, and that's how everybody gets radio anymore. Well, here's what happens, Anthony. You know, when you come up to a WVU football game, we've been, you know, we're giving you a three-game pregame show with, you know, airplanes in the air and everything else, and we're still doing it. And that's a great great benefit to the Mountaineers. But if you're an automated radio station in Ronsonford, West Virginia, and I'm not knocking them, for instance, but you're going to join the Mountaineers for a 7 o'clock basketball game. At 7 o'clock, your automation system is just going to stop playing music and flip on the channel that's got the game. Right. You don't have a disc jockey talking it up. You're not talking all days about, hey, you know, there, there's crowds, you know, like take this way out or here's where better parking is to get into the game or here's where people are tailgating or here's what's happening. You know, it's an event, college football is. It's really what people get into. It's part of how they spend their life, their money, their means. And to make this thing so freaking commercial, and a lot of it is the way we pay these coaches. We never in the world need to pay these college coaches five, six, seven million bucks. I mean, give me a break. Well, yeah, you that, said they're it. not. You, you know, it it's not that. It's not a pro game, and we made it a pro game, and now we're going to pay for that. Well, and you said it earlier. Coach Nealon was making two hundred ten thousand dollars when he walked yeah. out. When Rod, when Coach Rodriguez showed up, he was making like eight hundred thousand. So within within one football game, it jumped six hundred thousand dollars, and then it's never stopped since. And basically, um, this new era of of the money, and I get it. You've got to it's a, it's an arms race, right? So if you're wanting to compete against the Texas oh, yeah. and all that fun stuff, you've got to have the money. But unfortunately, they priced regular Joes out of the, out of the games. Like it, it, when I go, it's just my daughter and myself. And but I can never afford to go up for two nights and buy two tickets and stay, you know, because they force you to stay in two nights. A thousand dollars a weekend times six. I mean, that's, you know, that's just crazy. So the university is not generous. I mean, not generous. And I mean that, in a, in a in a way, because I love that university. My my youngest one is still a a graduate student. I've got four kids that went through there. My youngest one will be through there next year, you know, but they're not generous. It's like when Oliver Luck came in and, you know, reseated the Coliseum, that was a way that other people were using to make you get a better ticket license. So you have to pay more money to get the seats. Well, there were people who had been coming to the WVU Coliseum since it was opened Mm -hmm. and had the same seats. Why would you discount those fans at any time, at any level, you know, this year, you know, they brought back uh, students who were, you know, um, graduate students and freshmen because they wanted to get freshmen hooked on the university. Well, as soon as they did and went past the last date they could withdraw from class, they canceled classes. You know, they do some stuff like that sometimes. And I just think that they need to understand that the people who love the Mountaineers love the Mountaineers, you know, and, and, these, and these universities need so much money that, the, you know, you talked about what these coaches got, Anthony. That's why we have what we have today, mm-hmm. you know. 
the, the agents for these coaches started to understand the dynamics of the game quicker than the ADs did or wanted to. And they would go to them in these negotiations and say, look, if you were with IMG, they would guarantee you $8 million here on your media rights. And then you could pay Rich six, you know, or he's leaving. Uh, you know, that's been going on forever. Luckily, Holgerson, you know, had to pay us a million to leave. Man, that worked out the best deal that ever happened because, you know, that guy was a joke. Yeah, they, But, I'm, you know, now they got a good guy now. I mean, I think they got a guy they got to try to keep now. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this because you probably know more some of the of the technical. I assume the university still owns the rights to all the early Fleming broadcasts. and the. Yes, they do. Okay. Because, you know, if they were looking to make money, you would think, because I'm – I'm a, just as much of a fan as I was an employee, right? So I, right. I would sit in there in, in the fandom of it all, and you know, I, I still remember meeting Major Harris for the first time, and remember you know those conversations. But it seems like they would go back and start to maybe re-release some of the. I know that that Mike tried it once. They released the MSN yeah. Classic DVD set, which is literally sitting in my living room. I'm looking right at it. But you would think. Yeah. I wonder if there's you talk about revenue. I don't understand why they just don't start to bring this stuff back out of the vault and release it and let people stream it and relive it and make money off of it. And you know, the Anthony, here's a crazy thing about it. From 19, I want to say 82 or 83 on, the absolute quality of these broadcasts are mind blowing. I mean, mind blowing because. Like I said, you know, the, the the quality, people just don't think that way anymore. This whole era of digital has changed our concept of what audio quality and visual quality is anymore. We accept a lot more stuff happening on TV that goes weird than you and I would ever in our day. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything went wrong in a 30-minute broadcast, we were unhappy for a half hour. You know, now about two or three times, like the, you know, the, 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 the feed off the Internet goes up or down or whatever. Um, you know, but what I'm saying is that those broadcasts were mastered down and, you know, we laid down 40 tracks of audio for a, for a, for a college football game, Right. 40 tracks discernible. So, I mean, it's like, it's like remastering a thing is not only can you get the game back. I mean, but you can get it back with every cowbell, every crowd, every, you know, groan, every, mm-hmm. It, it you know we really do had you know we had we really went into the quality a lot of of how it was you know how big we put uh, emphasis on quality at MSN I mean we were really one of the better regional networks that ever happened and a lot of the guys who worked at MSN like yourself included have have worked all over this country on crews that would shock people in the kind of broadcast and events they've been involved in and most of them are based out of WVU. So, you know, we've got some really incredible talent around here, and we still use a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me, let me be honest. Most, most Metro News uh, television broadcasts, and we do some really good ones, are MSN kind of guys. Yep. You know who I'm dealing yep. with. Yep. You know the crew. You know everybody on the crew. Well, so, I mean, you know, you've got it's the same crew. That, it's really, we put the band back together several times a year here at Metro News anyhow for stuff like the Super 6 and things like that. Right. And I, b- I believe you guys won an Emmy for the Pony, Pony World Series? Yeah, we have five Emmys now, and the cool thing is we won an Emmy for Hot Rod, which was really, you know, that deserved it. I thought that was one of the, um, you know, really great things by Danny Lohman, who was an MSN guy. And then, yes, last year we won the, um, the, uh, I didn't, I want to say Babe Ruth, but it's Pony League, the Pony League World Series. Won it, won it, won the Emmy, and they beat out you know all of the TV and broadcast from Washington Nationals and Philadelphia Phillies and Pirates, and, 
and Cincinnati was a regional, but it was uh, nevertheless it was you know that's an event we do every year for uh, MLB, and uh, I don't know if we're going to do it this year. We didn't do it last year, but I God hopes we get some of the schedule back, and we got the Super Six coming up in a couple weeks. I'm worried about that. Now we've pushed back high school to January 11th, and you know. Well, Anthony, I've done a ton of stuff with the Mountaineers. You know, I've done 1,479 games at the uh, Charleston Coliseum with high school basketball. Uh, so I'm still doing that every single year and producing all 42 of those. And this year we're going to add another whole class. So hopefully we get a play this year. Yeah, that was crazy this year. I know you guys literally plugged in and had Nine to unplug games everything. In. Nine games in, we just like, you know, like we, we literally just like ended a game, blew the horn, and, you know, walked out. Yeah. Well, Dale, I know um, you guys do amazing work up there, and I don't even feel like – I feel like we could probably talk for three more hours and really just dive into some of the really funny stuff, and maybe we'll do that again. Um, I appreciate Absolutely. you coming on, and I think our listeners will, will get a kick out of just learning and hearing a little bit about – you know, uh, Jack and Woody and, and all the people and yourself and all the people that really kind of make that thing happen. Um, you know, it's funny. I went up, when did I, I was up for the K state game, I believe. And of course mm-hmm. you're only dealing with a smaller crowd, but I, it was very strange to look around and one, see the stadium empty, but two, um, I didn't see anybody wearing the headsets. You know how the guys, the, the your oh, serious yeah. fans have their headset on and they're listening to the radio calls while they're watching the game in the stadium. And I didn't see much of that. Um, it was a strange experience. I'm glad I got to experience it just so, you know, when I'm telling my grandkids, we're talking about the COVID. Well, yeah, I actually went to one of those games and, but, um, but it was just, it was just kind of a, a crazy trip up there. And I'm um, hopefully this stuff ends soon so we can get back I to normal. I hope so. Anthony, and I want to say one thing too, just before I leave here that, you know, I, I talk about Jack Fleming and, and he was one of the greatest of all times. And the, he, oh, you know, he owns the name voice of the Mountaineers because that was bequeathed on him because he really was in that golden era when, when radio became so substantial to the program. But I want to say this, and I want Mountaineer fans to hear this. And he's one of my guys, and he's been with me now for 35 years, which is a heck of a long time. But I think, you know, you need to understand while it's happening when something's really good. You knew when Pat White and Steve Slayton were here, we were really, something was happening good. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, that's Tony Creedy. You know, the West Virginia Mountaineer fans had a great announcer in Jack Fleming. They They have a guy in Tony Creedy who, believe me, around the country, you know, every one of these sportscasters around the country, we can't go anywhere that they, you know, stop and come and talk to Tony because, you know, he's been with the Mountaineers now since, 19, you know, been the Bane guy since 1995, 25 years. You know, you, you don't think about that. He but came, I'm telling he you right now, we're in the era of a very fine, very top flight and a great talent in Tony Creedy right now with Mountaineer football so and basketball. So, you know, you got to appreciate what you got while you have it. Absolutely. Because uh, he, I think Tony came in about eighty seven, eighty eight in that era, and was he lied to you. me and Hoppy and told me he was a news guy. <laughs> Said he could do news, so we hired him anyhow because he was from Syracuse, and we had a couple good wins out of Syracuse. Bill Nevin, obviously, the PA guy from the Mountaineers, came through us from Syracuse, and you know Tony, Tony came there, and Charlie Palello was down in Houston, and uh, J- Dave Jagler who does Washington Annual uh, Nationals, and Dave Pash, who's the voice of the Charleston. I mean the. Um, the Arizona Cardinals and ESPN and Bill Roth, who did Virginia Tech, they all came through this building. But Tony Creedy has been here since the 1980s, and he's a classic too. 
Absolutely. We're very lucky. And you brought up something that I think is very interesting. And I've seen Tony correct people before. They will introduce him as the the voice of the Mountaineers. And he always, and unless, and sometimes, he usually, 99.9% of the time, always mentions Jack Fleming. He'll say, that's not yes. me. That was Jack Fleming. But I appreciate the the comment, which is... He always does. You're right, Anthony. He always gives him the credit. So, no, no. That was Jack Fleming. Mm-hmm. I'm Tony Caridi. Right. <laughs> I know that. But you know what? He, you know, Jack Fleming left in the middle of his career for five or six years and then came back. Uh, I'm not I'm not giving him any bad marks for that. But I'm telling you right now, Tony Caridi has been really solid. And he's a great advantage for this university and for WVU. Well, he's a Hall of Famer. That's for sure. I'm, yeah, he is. Yep. Well, you're a Hall of Famer in my book, too, because I know what it takes to go city to city and you know, and do push those buttons every night and, and you did it and still do it. Um, and for a long time. So uh, Dale, I appreciate you coming on and giving me, uh, I thought we were going to go a half hour, but uh, sometimes you just, you just got to go with it. And it's been a great conversation and great well, catching God up bless with you, you brother. God bless Layla. How's she doing? She's doing great. She's doing great. I've got All right, a, good deal, buddy. A, a mouthy little 10 year old, you know, little girls, man. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I know how that is, man. She's a beauty, man. Yeah, Congratulations, it. Anthony. Thank you, Thank sir. you much. Buddy. All right. Well, we'll see you real soon and, uh, and, uh, go Mountaineers. Okay, buddy. Right, Talk thanks. to you later. Thanks, Dell. The date, the great, uh, Dell Miller there. He, uh, longtime producer with the, um, an engineer with the Mountaineer Sports Network. And what a great insight with that. So when we come back, uh, we will take a break. But when we come back, uh, we'll, give you some scores from around the big 12 and also uh, have some, the Dell sparks collection trivia question of the week. We'll do that after this. Hey, my dear fans, this is Brian Joswiak, the touchdown city podcast. will be right back. This is Chris Walters, owner of integrity insurance group. And we are proud to sponsor the Wally and Wimpy's touchdown city podcast. If you're in the market for home and auto insurance, give us a call. Our number is 304 346 9181. And we are where Mountaineers come to shop and compare their insurance rates. We are headquartered here in West Virginia, and there's always a local agent ready to help you. Let's go, Mountaineers. Now you can watch all the live HD TV in real time for just $30 a month. If you want access to networks, cable networks, sports, news, and premium movie channels for just $30 a month, Say Uncle TV is the service for you. www.sayuncletv.com. No contract, no credit check, and no extra fee. You pay just $30 a month. Say Uncle TV offers hundreds of live high-def channels, including CMT, AMC for The Walking Dead, TCN, and every cable network in the universe including your favorite hunting and fishing networks. For only $30 a month, SayUncleTV.com. Get all local and premium networks like NBC, you can't miss Blake on The Voice, CBS, ABC, Fox, and more. Get cable networks too, like Fox News. And get full access to all sports, including NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, NASCAR, and much more. Yes, sir, only $30 a month with no credit check, no contract, and no other fees. SayUncleTV.com. Get yours now. Well, here's to another trip around the sun, ladies. Another year older, and my foundation crack is another inch longer. I swear my porch just started sagging. What are you going to do, though, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got that right. It's time to stop worrying about your foundation problems. Call Alford Home Solutions today and rest easy tonight. 304 464 
What's up, guys? This is Anthony Beck, former WVU tight end, and you're listening to the Touchdown City Podcast. Welcome back to the Wallies and Wimpies Touchdown City Podcast. I'm Anthony Lewis, and due to some COVID protocols, we've decided not to gather, and I gave the guys a day, a day off. And um, just and then I thought I would bring in a really cool interview, and hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview from uh, Dell Miller, um, longtime radio guy, and uh, had a, a lot of lot of he logged a lot of games uh, working for West Virginia University. Some great stories there. Uh, real quick, let's do the Dell Sparks Collection trivia question. If you know the answer, text the correct answer six eight one two three one two six three two. Again, that number is six eight one. Two three one two six three two, and remember, uh, a lot of times I don't get it till Monday, Tuesday. Um, if you hear it, text it in. You could possibly win. So text in those answers. And this week's answer is really, or this week's question is going to be pretty easy. Name five consensus All Americans at West Virginia University. Name five of the consensus All Americans. At West Virginia University. If you again, if you know that number or know that answer, text it to six eight one two three one two six three two. All right, around college football yesterday, <clears throat> I will say this: uh, I feel like you know we we talked about ESPN with Dale, but ESPN really dropped the ball yesterday. Uh, it was the fiftieth anniversary of the Marshall plane crash, and I know this is a WVU show, but. You know, I think on on that day, we all become Marshall fans. And uh, my mom uh, knew some people on that plane. Um, I worked with Keith Morehouse at WSAZ. Keith is a hell of a good guy. He lost his father on that plane. Um, every, there's people, trust me, I think everybody probably knows somebody that knows somebody that was on that plane or is connected to that plane, that that flight. But I feel like ESPN had a great opportunity yesterday to come to Huntington and uh, Marshall's winning. They're undefeated. They're in the top 20. I think they're 15th or 16th this week. And and really had an opportunity to pay tribute to the largest um, tragedy in sports history. I mean, 75 people were killed in a plane crash and they decided to go and cover the Masters. Uh, I guess that's that's why Disney and ESPN is they're hemorrhaging money, and uh, it, somebody's just not making good decisions there. But uh, I felt like they really dropped the ball and had an opportunity to do something cool. But uh, around football yesterday, uh, Marshall they beat Middle Tennessee yesterday, forty-two to fourteen. Uh, looks like Miami and Virginia Tech had a big game uh, in Blacksburg, 25-24 final score. The Hurricanes pulled that one out. They're ranked 12th in the nation right now. Um, I'm not convinced that they're 12th in the nation. I have to watch them. Early in the season, I tried to watch them a few times, and they were a little up and down. So I'll try to watch them again next week if they're playing. Um, let's go down the list here. Indiana, ninth in the nation, 24-0 over Michigan State, and uh, USC over Arizona. And, of course, um, Tulsa over at SMU, 28-24. And the West Coast games, Oregon 43, Washington State 29. And I did get to watch a little bit of the Florida game last night. And their quarterback, um, I'll tell you what, 
That young man is a player. Trasic, 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 T-R-A-S-K, 23-29, 356 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, the Gators look like they may be for real. Uh, West Virginia is off next week, so there will be no game, but you can catch all your favorite college football action at Say Uncle on Say Uncle TV, $30 a month for all your cable needs. I'm telling you, it's not a scam. It's $30. I've got it here. I can watch all the college football I want to watch, watch all the NFL package. Go to SayUncle.com. I'm sorry. Go to SayUncleTV.com. Say Uncle TV and get your cable for $30 a month. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know it's a bit weird this week without the other guys here. It's been kind of strange um, flying solo today. But I hope you guys enjoyed that interview from Dell Miller. And we'll be back next week um, and hopefully have the, the full cast. But we appreciate you checking out the Touchdown City podcast. And remember, if you'd like any merchandise, from our website, go to touchdowncity.com. You can get t-shirts, keychains, autographed pictures from Avon. He'll personalize them. He'll do whatever. And also, we're going to give you guys, the listeners, the discount code. The discount code is, T- is TDC20 for a 20% discount. Again, that's TDC20. And that will discount it. And that's at touchdowncity.com. All right. Thanks for checking us out, and please for, please remember, stop by and hit the subscribe button and maybe leave us a review. That would work out cool. All right, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week on the Touchdown City Podcast. Let's go!